when I tried it for the first time that I just, I came alive. I literally, I, I cannot explain how much mental clarity I got. In fact, I then became not addicted to it, but it became a very, a staple for me. Welcome to Forever Young, the health and well-being podcast from Lanzarov. My name is Mario Pedazzoli, and in every episode, join me in conversation with a variety of health experts and special guests as we explore what it means to live well. We may not find the secret to eternal youth, but join me on our quest as we explore just what it means to live a balanced, healthy, and happy life. Hello again, and welcome. In today's show, we explore the fascinating world of biohacking, how by making small incremental changes in our diet and lifestyle, we can make significant improvements in our overall health and well-being. So let's start with the fundamentals. Biohacking is the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside you so that you have full control over your own biology. It is essentially the practice of changing our chemistry and our physiology through science and self-experimentation to energize and enhance the body. It's a broad definition, but that's also because the concept is constantly evolving. It includes implementing lifestyle and dietary changes that improve the functioning of your body, as well as wearable technology to help you monitor and regulate physiological data. It can even run to extremes such as using implant technology and genetic engineering. The possibilities are endless, but they are all rooted in the idea that we can change our bodies and our brains, and that by doing so, we can ultimately become smarter, faster, and live well for longer as human beings. Well, to help us make sense of it all is Tim Gray, widely regarded as this country's leading biohacker and founder of the Health Optimization Summit, the UK's largest alternative annual health conference. Tim, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us from Germany. Thanks for having me, Mara. Now, you're one of the few who've managed to travel. So what, what takes you to Germany, Tim? Uh, I came for um, some biological dentistry work. Uh, with um, Dr. Dominic Nischwitz in Tübingen um, because I had uh, impacted wisdom teeth and some cavitation surgery. So uh, we, maybe we can dive into what that's about uh, for those that don't know. Well, you, you really are on a personal biohacking journey, I think, as you've just uh, demonstrated, actually. And um, maybe uh, talk about this and, and, and how you ended up uh, with the career you have today, because I'm sure that wasn't the original master plan. It definitely was not. <laughs> um, I um, don't like the label, but I would consider myself an entrepreneur or his historically speaking, um, starting, scaling, selling companies. Mm -hmm. um, quite successful, I guess. And then uh, about 10 years ago, I got sick. And before that, I just thought sickness was a weakness, something that my staff had when they wanted an excuse out of coming into work. Um, mm. And um, I didn't really, I didn't really pay attention to my health just because I guess I was always so focused and always um, running around at 200 miles an hour. And um, actually started getting um, urinary tract infections, kidney stones, severe bloating, all sorts of different weird symptoms going on. And um, we got to the point where I couldn't leave the house. And I went from being, you know, a high performer, super sharp mind, um, 
to you know being severely broken i guess and you know it, it got to the point of i was in the doctor's you know, every day in the space of a week and then at least once or twice every other week. And my doctor, bless him, who is now retired, um, I said to him, what's up with me? And he said, we've tested everything, you know, can't find anything wrong and shrugged his shoulders, which is a typical route these days. It's happening more and more and more mm. um, where, you know, the medical system is fantastic for emergency care. You know, it is finely tuned but for chronic health issues for some reason there's a blank spot that just isn't quite covered yet yet i mm. emphasize the word yet um and really i took it upon myself in a, a business mindset of approaching my health like it was a company um so after this point you know him shrugging his shoulders i realized that the big powers of the doctors and the hospitals, you know, weren't able to help me, which, and I'd always, you know, you know, that if something goes wrong, you've got them there to rely on, you know, you can always go back. There's an expert to help you, but it got to the point where I was like, wow, actually on these things, I can't, what do I do? And so I picked up a pack of post-it notes at home and uh, wrote down each symptom and each thing that I had going on and put them into a hierarchy, almost a cause and effect chart on the wall, mapped it out. And, um, you know, kind of link them together to realize on a top down approach what it was that I could tackle that would filter down and fix all the symptoms and the issues below. Um, and that's really where it began. And I did that for almost five years with testing different supplements or various different things, feeling my way around in the dark until I heard about biohacking. Well, yes, presumably. Um, well, how long ago was this, Tim? The, the that was about uh, 2004. 14 2015 now i heard about biohacking must but have been around that your 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 symptoms and and, and and when you took matters into your own hands that that was presumably yeah so 2011 is when i started getting yeah um 2013 was you know really heavy really really heavy um for me and health wise and then it kind of like uh -huh. picked up from there so, so, so i think for 10 years ago the term biohacking presumably didn't really exist it had only just been invented Okay. Um, it had only just been invented by the founder of biohacking, the father of biohacking, they call him, um, Dave Asprey, who is the inventor of Bulletproof Coffee. Mm -hmm. um, he, he had chronic health issues. He was obese and things like that. And, you know, traditional system couldn't really help him losing weight and things like that. And that's where it came from about 10 years ago. It's since exploded <laughs> in size. And I think that's partly because it's very quantified. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of biohacking there's several definitions of biohacking and i guess it's probably worth me saying that for the listeners because yes, you know with, as with all as always the media likes to overhype things and make things sound more extreme because that gets more readers or more clicks unfortunately it's the same when it comes to biohacking um it's not transhumanism which is chip implants in your hand um, you know, to, to be able to pay for your, your groceries or shopping, you know, without a card. Um, mm. It's uh, not editing your cat's genes so it glows in the dark, you know, which is uh, CRISPR. Um, it is literally health optimization. And the difference between health, optimi um, health optimization, biohacking, and, you know, the traditional wellness industry is that wellness 
you can have a functional medicine doctor, you can do yoga, you can do all these different things that, you know, might be recommended to you, but they're not necessarily quantified. Whereas biohacking, if you've got sleep issues and say it's just taking a sleeping tablet, which is obviously an option, but mm. um, it's let's track your sleep. Let's look at the deep sleep, the REM sleep, the light sleep. Let's look at your heart rate variability. Let's look at environmental factors such as how much natural light or unnatural light do you have um, exposed to your body before bed, during sleep and on waking. Um, you know, what's the temperature of your room? And then changing something to see how much of an impact that has. So typically, for instance, uh, a real common one with biohackers is they wear blue blocking glasses, which are the crazy yellow or orange lenses. Um, it's not because they look diva-ish, although some people do wear them for that reason. Um, and they block blue light. Blue light stops us secreting melatonin obviously melatonin being our sleep hormone. So if we're subjected to blue light throughout the day, which is generally fine, but before bed, three hours before bed, our bodies don't know what time of day it is. So therefore we don't start secreting melatonin. Therefore we don't sleep properly. We feel like we might or do, but when you look at the data, like we're tracking it, tracking it with an aura ring, um, you realize actually, no, that can be adjusted. So without medication, with a simple thing like wearing blue blocking glasses or another one, an example of this is let's turn off the Wi-Fi at night. Let's put your phone on airplane mode and charge it in another room because you can then track it to see how your deep sleep or REM sleep improves. And your heart so rate by having life. your phone, I'm, I'm asking this as much as personal interest as anything else, but, but with your phone next to you, that can affect and interrupt your sleep just by yes. having it on the Wi-Fi. Yes, yes. there's a recent, recent um, um, study done, and uh, recently, very recently, actually, I heard about this last week only, that how many times have you had a text message, you, you got your phone on silent or whatever, mm -hmm. and you think, oh, I've just had a message. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no noise or anything. You look down at it, and then a message pops up. Unconsciously, we understand or know when there are EMFs happening. Like to our unconscious, it's almost like we're awake when we're asleep if we have high EMFs around us. It's very controversial. It's very at the forefront of these things um, in, in the health space right now. But the thing is, is when they tested and tracked the brain to see what lit up with and without Wi-Fi or when the phone was ringing, the brain actually thinks it's awake even when it's asleep. <laughs> so wow. basically it interferes with the repair time that we have, which is sleep. Obviously we sleep to repair the damage that we've done to our body during the day using the energy that we have collected from the day, whether that comes from the sunlight, whether it comes from food or whatever, that's, that's, that's part of it. But if we're not sleeping properly, we're not repairing proper, properly, which is why the best longevity drug is, the best sleep. <laughs> so therefore it really begins with sleep and biohacking, but quantifying it and knowing, mm. Oh, I turn off my router, for instance, my Wi-Fi router and my sleep score improves by 20%. <laughs> mm. It's very obvious. You can then change one variable at a time and see and perfectly refine like you would tune your engine for your car, mm. perfectly refine it bit by bit. So for so you, um, biohacking is, it's all about measuring and collecting the data 
and the performance in all the different areas of your life that you can measure with the goal to optimize health and yes. performance yes the, the the caveat to this is is that biohacking as with any forefront trends or mm, yeah trends it's often controversial <laughs> until it becomes more widely accepted so there are some things as a biohacker that biohackers may try um, and i'm not saying i have or haven't for instance but with peptides peptide therapy is widely accepted now in the states um you may and, wish to explain that a bit more for, for listeners yeah so um peptides very simply are so you have uh proteins and amino acids in between you have peptides polypeptides and so they're almost like little messengers of uh, types of proteins i guess amino acids strung together now they are natural um i guess you would call them messengers that our body has naturally from when we eat food we break down the proteins etc etc and it has different messages that signal the body to do different things for instance there's one called bpc 157 which is known to help the body repair spe specifically the digestive process and it comes from gastric juices apparently originally but you can actually buy it and it's used for research purposes in some most countries in some countries you can have it prescribed um, which is then put uh, injected in um, uh, either subcutaneously or uh, into muscle. Um, and that indicates the body to start repairing quite quickly. Now, there's a, a few blogs out there with some of my colleagues that have actually say heal like Wolverine because it's just so effective. Um, and um, it has some really interesting um, anecdotal and clinical evidence behind it right now but it's right at the forefront so in the medical system in the uk they probably go cringe oh you don't know the source of this stuff you don't know what you're putting into your body but the point is it's actually got a lot of research work going behind it from private companies that are going to bring this mainstream in the coming years and so there's things like that that a biohacker such as myself would go what is the risk what is the report ward and for instance, blue blocking glasses, very low risk, very high reward, especially when you track it. Something with peptides, if you're injecting something, I go, well, the risk is potentially quite high. How do I minimize that risk? And what is the reward? Well, if I've really damaged my body and I need to heal super quickly, what things would I pick to do that, such as red light therapy or hyperbaric oxygen therapy, um, peptides, making sure that I use proteolytic enzymes and then really attack it to help it. So the risk would be quite high for peptides. And there are a whole host of things. So sometimes medical professionals can cringe at biohackers because they're trying things, but uh, they are calculated risks and they are generally at the forefront. Yes. But I think this is why biohacking is growing so quickly is because it is getting some very good results. And from some... So, for instance, medical practitioners can't go recommending some of these things because they are at risk of losing their license because there's just not enough studies or data behind them right now. But it only takes, you know, a few hundred biohackers across the world that are a little bit riskier than the average showing mm -hmm. that something works for an, uh, an investment firm to say, actually, we're going to fund research in this area because we believe that this is the next wonder drug. You know, mm -hmm. and there's, for instance, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I'm a massive fan of this, massive, massive fan of this. Mm. Um, and um, it hasn't been widely used until recently, except for the bends um, for, dive, for, for divers, obviously. Mm. Um, and it's known for people with diabetic foot wounds. And so having to have the 
the foot amputated, you have hyperbaric oxygen therapy, a certain amount of sessions at a certain pressure over a certain period of time, and it helps them heal from the inside out. So there are applications that are known, but not necessarily they're uh, off-label, I guess. Now, hyperbaric oxygen therapy for mental clarity, for healing, for recovery, for performance, like for instance, for famous tennis players I've, I've got to know, or footballers, they use this stuff. And I was doing this six, seven years ago now, and now it's becoming mainstream and being widely accepted. So there are areas like this that, you know, very low risk, but massive reward that are now becoming more and more mainstream. Um, yes, you know. we, um, we're about to launch hyperbaric oxygen therapy here, uh, in fact, uh, for, for the rest of this year. And, and it just, you know, it, it, it seems to be something that will quickly gain mainstream traction. It is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved it so much uh, when I tried it for the first time that I just, I came alive. I literally, I, I cannot explain how much mental clarity I got. In fact, I then became not addicted to it, but it became a very, a staple for me. And I would take my pack of post-it notes in there. I'd take my phone in and I would do brainstorming and I'd work in there. I'd have post-it notes stuck all on the inside of the, the chamber actually. Um, was that after I, the first session? Did you, did you feel an immediate benefit, Tim, or was that accumulative? Depending on how much, uh, how well oxygenated you are. I mean, again, with the aura ring, it tracks your respiratory rate. Mm. Um, a lot of us are over breathers, but under oxygenated because we need to be able to deal with our carbon dioxide properly because carbon dioxide helps force oxygen in the cell. So if we're over breathing, i.e. we're taking too much oxygen in, but we're not able to hold our breath properly for a period of time, we're under oxygenated. So for those people that use hyperbaric that may have bad posture, actually are the people that are mouth breathing when they're running and they're stopped for panting for air, they're under oxygenated. So for those guys, hyperbaric is just like a wonder drug. Hmm. It's, it's a plaster because it will get you performing well, but really you need to focus on breathing properly as well. Mm. It's such as working with a, per, a personal trainer. He will say, here's your form. Here's how you do this exercise. Mm. See you in two weeks time for your next session. But in the meantime, I need you to do this stuff. Hyperbaric is like that. It's almost like, well, here's a top up. Here's, you know, let's get your oxygen levels up. Mm. But you need to learn to breathe properly in between sessions. Otherwise you're always going to be falling back into that. So, um, Hyperbaric works from the first session for many people. For other people, they need it after a surgery. Uh, for other people, they do it for performance, just ongoing. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of city boys in, in London that love doing it on their lunch breaks <laughs> um, just because it gets them so sharp for the afternoon. Uh, long, day, long, are the go long gone are the days where they'd be in the pub at lunchtime. Um, now they're looking to you know, get IV therapy or hyperbaric at lunchtime. That is perfect for that. Or just looking for for that edge and um, coming back to tracking mm. uh you know i know uh, you mentioned the aura ring but of course these days we can measure steps we can measure sleep we can measure calories we can measure heart rate so on um can this become too obsessive a pursuit and and can it be can it almost not not backfire but but um just become uh, uh too obsessive yes Yes, especially with dopamine, dopamine dominant or dopamine deficient people that are chasing dopamine 100%. Um, like with anything good, 
uh, or something's bad, um, it can become addictive. I think it goes to the point where I was tracking 35 points of data a day manually, plus plus my data on my Aura Ring. And, Did you have time uh, for anything else, Tim? Oh, it would take me 15 minutes in the morning and right. you know, 10 minutes in the evening. And I plot, plotted that on a spreadsheet so I could look at correlations between, you know, sort of different things I ate, what that did to my digestive system, you know, um, up to 72 hours later and how much water I drink, you know, down to the the specific gravity of hydration on the way out with my urine. I mean, it, it, and, it, and I was tracking my uh, body temperature five times a day and then averaging it out and looking at which supplements brought my body temperature up and stabilized my adrenals because you can quite accurately check your metabolic rate and um, your adrenals based on your body temperature. So it got to the point where I went, holy crap, I'm doing a bit too much here. I'm a bit too extreme, but I'm getting lots of good data and I'm able to refine things. But I think being at knowing when you, you're super ill, you do everything you can to optimize your health, you know, you're desperate almost. It's almost like you've got a gun to your head. Mm. And then you need to know when to let go. <laughs> um, and um, now I have things in place. I make sure that if I, I need to snack or, you know, if I'm traveling, I have uh, wild smoked salmon in my bag, for instance, or uh, tin sardines, good quality tin sardines as a snack opposed to having to grab a sandwich or a pret or something. No, I, I put things in place so that I don't fall. So I have these mm. things. I carry certain supplements with me. Um, and I wear my aura ring. And then if I feel like I need something, I use a modality like hyperbaric. So it can become obsessive, but it's also, you could say the same um, with anything, you know, why do humans have sex? For instance, we have it to reproduce, but it's also fun. So therefore we do it for both purposes, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's the same for me with biohacking. Um, I'm not comparing biohacking to sex, by the way. Um, <laughs> But that was my point, next question. Yeah. Um, no, but the point is, is, you know, I very much enjoy having good health. I very much enjoy biohacking and by immersion has become my career, you know, because it's the overlap. If you look at the Venn diagram, <laughs> you know, the overlap between, you know, your passion and career and these things. And it's, it, I fit perfectly into that. So I'm very happy, but a lot of, beginners do kind of get sucked in if they are that dopamine dominant type mm. definitely well actually let, let's look at that because when we look at the last year and a half let's say uh, we all know what the world has gone through and we've all personally gone through uh, some worse than others but coming out of lockdown now um, I think we all understand that we must take responsibility for our own health and well-being and if we don't, you know, poor chronic lifestyle and diet habits do catch up with us. So we have to commit. Um, and for those of us that have had that wake up call, maybe, um, how's the best way to start, Tim? Really good question. It really depends on everyone um, where people are. I think the wake up call is what we evolved with is what we survived with what we didn't evolve with isn't working. <laughs> you know, there are like, I'll give you an example is that I get called extreme. I actually did a post on Instagram about this yesterday. I get called extreme quite a lot for 
taking my shoes off and standing in the grass <laughs> or, mm. um, you know, having a high fat breakfast or um, doing a hyperbaric oxygen session. We're so far detached from nature that we get called extreme for being back in nature in some cases, such as grounding. So the things that people should have in place are generally the things that we would have evolved with that we don't necessarily have now and are, are, are explained very quickly. For instance, if we are performing, not performing too well, or we have brain fog and we check our oxygenation, um, for instance, our respiratory rate, um, and we're under oxygenating, then breath work is an obvious thing to do. We can mimic improving your breath work by having something like hyperbaric oxygen therapy or, you know, kind of like hyperoxygenating for a while to aid recovery very quickly. Um, such as supplementing. If you need more magnesium, you won't refuel a deficiency with broccoli overnight, but you can help with magnesium IV very, very, very quickly. So, you know, there's areas like that where we're utilizing nature or mimicking nature. Okay. So what most people can do is actually understand the fundamental building blocks of what our bodies need to thrive. And if they do these things, their chances of not getting viruses or um, infections or um, metabolic health issues significantly reduce, like significantly. And I'll give you an example. Last year through COVID, I traveled through 26, country, uh, 26 cities and 10 countries. Okay. I was not careful. I wore a mask out of respect for others, if I was asked to, only if asked to, um, because actually I am exempt um, because of a sinus surgery. Um, and I wasn't careful anyway. And now I'm not in a risk group and I spend my life optimizing my health. Okay. Now I couldn't, I didn't get it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I know I came into contact with people with it and all I do is put the basic building blocks in place. Now, this isn't a, a corona discussion by any means, but just saying that if you, it's about minimizing risk and ticking off the things on the list to have those. So number one would be sleep properly. And everyone may say, oh, well, I sleep properly even if I have a coffee before bed. But if you look at the data, your body's not resting. It's not recovering you just think that you're sleeping. You'll just not be conscious. Um, you'll see that your heart rate is elevated. Your heart rate variability is lower. Um, you'll see that your respiratory rate is increased slightly. You probably see either your deep sleep or REM sleep lower than they should be. Um, so therefore recommending drink coffee before midday, not after, because of it's half-life for most people. Um, as early as that in the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, after midday, okay. Based on half-life, which apparently on average is around five to six hours for people. You know, if you have um, a cup of coffee after midday, it's like having a quarter of a cup of coffee just before you go to bed. It's, it's madness. So uh, at nine o'clock. So I would, yeah, so that's an example. Okay. So proper sleep, optimize it. You can get a ring. You can try different things um, to improve your sleep, turning your Wi-Fi off, making sure your phone's on airplane mode and then charging another room, making sure your bed's pulled away from the wall so you haven't got electric sockets right behind your head um, because that does have an impact too. Uh, making sure that you 
you wear blue blockers and glasses before bed um, and wake up with sunrise, opposed to being kept up late with blue light <laughs> and then waking up in the morning with sunrise, which is blue light and having a short sleeping window, which ages you quicker. So that's number one. Number two is making sure that your hydration is absolutely on point. And a big problem is that people have these days is that they drink lots and lots of water, but it's low in mineral content. And we drink water for two purposes mainly is one is to flush out toxins um, to keep our blood fluid, obviously. And two is to get electrolytes into our blood, into our bodies. Electrolytes being uh, obviously for our electrical system. And if we're dehydrated and most people are apparently 30% of people are dehydrated. Um, then by the time we're 85, apparently we're 40, 45% dehydrated by the time we're 85 from uh, on a cellular level. And so now if you increase your, and I'm talking sea salt intake, not table salt, very, very different sea salt. Um, that's minerals. Um, I have half a teaspoon on waking and a glass of water and half a teaspoon before bed. Um, you can actually go significantly higher. And this is based on a book called The Salt Fix by Dr. James Nicolantonio. Um, incredible book um, about how salt has been uh, wrongly ostracized, um, but he table salt. Yes, this flies in the face of um, yep. current yes, thinking. It, it does completely. Um, in fact, like for instance, one of my one of my issues, and I'll, I'll take it back. What how I found hydration to be so important was that when I was super ill, I would urinate fifteen to thirty, maybe more times a day. If I had a cup of tea, it would be out, you know, herbal tea or whatever. It would be out. It seems more than I drank, hmm. and um, which gave me you know all sorts of issues and um, mental uh, chronic fatigue, mental um, clarity issues, and things. So what I did was I then read that certain minerals help you retain water better. <laughs> so I tested adding minerals in and I tested, you know, various ones on their own to see what did what. And for me, it was potassium. Adding in 200 milligrams of potassium a day actually stopped my frequent urination overnight. Like within, within 24 hours, Goodness. I went from bit driving insane like not being able to be away from a toilet because i knew i would be busting and only a bit would come out it wouldn't be a you know a mm. good pick that i realized actually there's something in this so i really spent a lot of time studying minerals and hydration and celtic sea salt is the most mineral similar to our blood composition in terms of mineral composition um that there is and the, the theory is that we came from the sea we evolved from the sea therefore we have a very similar mineral composition so if you're peeing more than five or six times a day and waking in the middle of the night to go pee then you've probably got a mineral imbalance and again this you know it's very basic stuff and yet doctors don't generally look at it so coming uh, back to the water, do you mean, therefore, drink mineral water as opposed to tap water? Is, is it those small yeah. changes can help or not? Most mineral water, or should I say bottled water, isn't actually mineral water. It's, mm. you know, spring water or whatever, but it's not necessarily high in minerals. And in fact, the water industry, I have been told by someone within the water industry that they know that the lower level of minerals, the more water people need to drink. Therefore, it becomes a more needed product. You remineralize re then you need to drink less. If you think when you go to somewhere like Mexico or a hot country, how salty, or should I say like 
yeah, how much different does the water taste? It's like it's actually high in minerals in these hotter countries because you excrete a lot more. Um, and yet in colder countries or, you know, in England and America, it's very low mineral content water. And how many people do you see carrying a bottle of water around with them, like a litre or two a day? We did not evolve with this, but we did evolve with natural water that was high in mineral content and foods that were higher in mineral content as well, because they weren't traditionally farmed, uh, they were, weren't factory farmed, should I say. So therefore, they, the soil was better quality, it had higher mineral content, and et cetera, et cetera. So if you nail your sleep game and optimize your hydration by adding in some Celtic sea salt um, in the morning and evening, that will bring you probably 40% of the way to being significantly more optimized because um, it will improve mental clarity, it will improve your energy, it will improve your sleep, it will stop you waking in the middle of the night <laughs> and um, you'll be a much healthier, happier human being versus someone that sleeps three hours a night or for instance, extreme, or when you're traveling and you know how grumpy or easy it is to be agitated. Well, you know, it's not just a on or on off, it's in between. And I think people that are chronically dehydrated without realizing it and undersleeping have that. Um, so so um, comparing your health today, I mean, this is a long journey that you've been on, but clearly one that's been incredibly educational and now you're leading the way, you know, with the biohacking movement in this country. How would you describe your health today compared to 10 years ago? I'm a different human. <laughs> um, I really am. I, I still have health issues, uh, you know, minor ones, albeit. But I was ill and I didn't even know it before I got ill. Um, and I think, I mean, I was 32 when I got ill. And if you see a picture of me now versus then, mm. it's uh, completely different. Um my energy is better than I was at 32. Um, I, it, it's, it's changed me significantly, put it that way. Most of this stuff, if I had known, if I knew the stuff now, that I, if I knew then what I knew now, I could probably fix most of the stuff within six months and have saved myself, you know, nine and a half years. But the point is, is 10 years ago, there wasn't, it wasn't readily available to get a functional medicine practitioner or there wasn't things like Lanzerhof um, in London at, at the time. Um, there wasn't people that were, there wasn't a lot of data in terms of biohacking, you know, even, you know, genetic testing was in its infancy, you know, retail wise, and you couldn't look at what genetic mutations you had to optimize your supplementation and things like that. So there was a whole things that haven't happened. So time's gone along and also it's grown so much of a movement you know, you only have to go on Instagram to look at functional practitioners <laughs> and see how much of this stuff that they're talking about now. Yes. Um, so I think while I'm very different, people nowadays can be significantly better within months. And, you know, I can turn, not that I work with people as a practitioner, I don't, but if a friend or colleague or whatever asks me, you know, for advice, then I would say, this is what I would do. You know, fixing sleep within three or four days is very, very common practice, even when, you know, they've been on sleeping drugs for years. That's powerful. And uh, with all of the different uh, approaches to, to biohacking your life, are there any potential dangers involved? Are there any negative side effects or risks? What are the, what are the downsides potentially? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's with everything of risks. Um, and I calculate before I do anything. Um, I think there's been some people that have gone too extreme with some things. Um, 
but I think if you're putting the basics of nature in place, you know, sunlight, getting plenty of sunlight, opposed to covering yourself up from it, you know, getting some grounding in, um, obviously there's science behind that, which we can discuss if you like in a minute, um, making sure that you're hydrated properly, making sure that you're sleeping properly, making sure that you're moving every day. Um, you know, having the basics, the fundamentals in place, they're safe. I mean, there's there's really nothing bad that can come of it versus, you know, drugs that have serious side effects that have minimal gain compared to some of these things. Um, but there's always a dark side to everything. <laughs> and, you know, there has been a few cases of people going a bit too extreme, I think. So, um, but... I think if you work with, for instance, as I always say, work with a functional medicine practitioner um, and um, are guided and put the basics of nature in place that we've discussed, then I think, you know, you can't really go wrong. Mm. And, you know, this is as, as an approach, biohacking can be taken to extremes. Um, are you aware of what are the most dangerous types of biohacks that are currently being tried or that are out there that you know you think oh goodness no wouldn't go there i think that you can get used to using too many devices and reliance on devices which i think can be dangerous you know oh, i've got a device for this or i've got a device for that or i'm taking 15 supplements for this or 20 supplements for that i mean we just don't know the, the knock-on effects psychologically speaking having to rely on a device for a start um, or having, you know, 15, 20 supplements without necessarily having guidance. I think that's, you know, I think that's the type of approach that I avoid now. I do have device. So for instance, if I need super mental clarity, I'll use one, but I don't mm -hmm. rely on it. I make sure that the building blocks are in place. So, and then in terms of other interventions, mm, gene therapy, I'm not a fan of yet we just don't know enough about it it's in its infancy and i think mm -hmm. the risk is way too high and the reward is way too unknown for the moment um but there are some really good emerging <laughs> things happening that i'm hearing good things from colleagues around gene therapy um mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting to see where that goes i mean i i, I was at i spoke to a very senior gastroenterologist about eight years ago about probiotics for instance and he said oh we just don't know enough we just don't know enough and you know they're not proven to work don't go near them and blah 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 i tested anyway after getting a microbiome test done with and replaced the things that i needed and it resolved my issues quite quickly so i think that's where gene editing is at the moment in terms of its infancy yeah um now microbiome testing is very readily available and probiotics are available everywhere. Everyone's drinking kombucha, which I don't mm -hmm. necessarily agree with, like, like it's uh, water. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and Tim, you are, you're the founder of the Health Optimization Summit. And I think that's grown to really quite a big annual event. Would you like to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, um, of course. Um, I read so many books got to know so many speakers been to so many american events and um realized that we didn't really have anything quite like it in europe so i wanted a community i wanted to bring everyone together so i created the health optimization summit and instead of calling it a biohacking summit or whatever um which is very niche and not accessible to you know the general population in fact less than a tenth of a percent when i surveyed knew what biohacking was let alone wanted to biohack themselves but when you talk about you know health optimization um then 
you know, we hit 94% of people for themselves and 5% for loved ones and less than, you know, less than 1% actually were just too busy to stop and answer. So it shows that it's widely needed. Um, then I bring the best speakers, best authors and the best brands, technologies or supplements or, you know, emerging things that I have tested on myself and bring them to London. So that's 1,500 people, 40 to 50 speakers, uh, 100 brands, two days, uh, VIP speaker dinner on the Friday nights. So you can get to eat with the, the, eat with the speakers and uh, a biodynamic organic natural wine party on the Saturday night, which is almost pretty much hangover free wine. Um, uh, there, and then there's, is there there's such a, a thing, Tim? Come yeah, on. there is. I mean, is I'm, I'm happy to quickly jump Come on this. On. So um, biodynamic is controversial, but there's a lot of natural processes involved in it. The uh, It's natural organic wine. So it's grown on mineral rich soil, generally with rocks underneath it. So mm -hmm. the roots bring up lots of minerals. Um, they're not irrigated. So it's not got uh, like, I guess, tapped water on it, opposed to it's got natural waters. It's got natural minerals in it. There's no sulfites um it's low in sugar so the sugar and alcohol balance is what causes the toxicity in the liver which gives people the hangover and also the dehydration now because it's mineral rich it's high in natural water and it's low in sugar and it tastes amazing you don't get the hangover and in fact i was at an event a few years ago where a private island a ceo retreat and um we were all drinking this stuff and not a single person had hangovers 130 of us and the large majority of us were drinking this were stuff. you all blind drunk the night before <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't do it often but when i do i do it with the good stuff so so my point is yeah we go a party on the saturday night yeah. with stuff um from dry well, that's, farm that's the holy grail you've, you've discovered there um but uh no obviously that's grown and are you able to resume this year the, the, the summit yeah, yeah we're planned, uh 17th to 19th of september in business design center <clears throat> in angel and um really looking forward to it we had postponed it from last year just because obvious mm -hmm. reasons mm -hmm. but uh, yeah i'm really look, i'm really looking forward to it we've got an awesome lineup and some amazing brands involved so I'm, yeah i'm really looking forward to it good uh, as am i and i'm sure all our listeners uh, would uh, like to know more um to round off and this has been incredibly insightful and fascinating discussion tim thank you what are the rules if you had some what are the rules that you live by be a compassionate hard ass is number one um be direct sincere but gentlemanly um is some things that i tried to hold myself to um because i think values drive us or guide us more than you know little rules here and there um Eat organic, natural food 90% of the time. Um, eat only grass-fed organic meat um, and um, try to find magic in every encounter. That's really, you know, what those are the things that really drive me. And, and then, you know, optimize my health so I can spread the health to other people um, on, a, on a grand scale. That's really why I went to the summit. Okay. Well, Tim, thanks again. Uh, really enjoyed this chat and uh, I look forward to raising a glass of hangover free wine <laughs> with you uh, in the very near future uh, and when you're back from Germany do come and see us I will do of course thanks for having me cheers Tim all the best 